Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Welcome to this Friday edition on December 16th. And wow, I got to say, I'm a little melancholy. I'm super excited as we get ready for Sunday's final. But this is the last of a weekday show. We do have a show on Sunday here on ESPN LA, if you're wondering. So don't worry about that. But, you know, we're coming down. This is like the penultimate show. You know, and it's like it's the World Cup is so great that you get a little, little kind of little sad, a little teary-eyed wrapping it all up and it's going to be gone for another the the cool thing is we're only three and a half months or three and a half years away from the next one right instead of four years because sometimes i get like that after the world cup in like 2014 and even the one we didn't play in in 2018 it was like ah, four years you know like it just feels like forever and although it goes by in a blink but three and a half years doesn't sound that bad really and it'll be here in the U.S. But we got uh, stuff to talk about, certainly, right today. Let's not get too sad. We got a massive game. And Mario and I started talking about this yesterday just a little bit as the show went on, that it hit me that this could be the greatest World Cup game of all time, potentially. Now, you can say that about virtually any final, and there have been some great ones. But the the storylines are absolutely everywhere in this one. Right? I mean, these... As you look back on the tournament, it's easy to say now, but I really do believe this. These are the two best teams, right? And taking nothing away from Croatia and Morocco, they could have gotten here. Both could have won. Wouldn't have been that big of a surprise. By the time you get to a semifinal, (laughs) by the time you get to the quarterfinals, you can win the whole stinking thing pretty easy, really. I don't care what team you are. You know, round of 16, you still got some work to do. You got to get through several good teams, you know. You still got a long way to go. Not that you can't win, but you get to the quarterfinals, you can win the whole stinking thing. But these are the two best teams. And I don't even think it's really particularly close this tournament. Especially when you consider how some of the other teams we thought might go really deep, duds. <laughs> Just duds. And I'm not even talking about teams that lost early in the knockouts. I mean, look at Belgium. Didn't even make it this far. So kudos to Argentina and France. Deservage finalists. And it is going to be tough. I know it's a cliche with these tournament type of things or playoffs or whatever. Like, But in this case, it's going to be painful for the team that loses. Because I think either one of them deserves to win. That's how close this is. And how well they've played. But you're only going to get one champ. One thing I do say, and I know people will disagree with me. Some of you might not, actually. I'll actually see what Mario, what do you think about this, Mario? I don't want penalties. Now, I know it's dramatic, and all, but I, I would like to see a winner, right? Because penalties, yes, you get a champion out of penalties, but you don't really find out who won, if that makes sense. And I know you got to do it. We talked about it before, Mario. You might disagree with me. When you're talking about knockout football, like you can't have teams playing 700 minutes in one game until some, you know, it's not hockey. Sorry. We don't want it to be ice hockey where the two teams play six overtimes and kill themselves for one game in a playoff series. Like, you got to move on, right? You had 120 minutes to beat the other team. If you didn't, well, okay, then it goes to penalties. So I know you can't, like, let athletes just play forever, even in a final. They can't just go on forever. That's just too physically taxing in a sport where you're running virtually all the time. But I don't want it to go to PKs, Mario. Yeah, neither do, do you I. agree or disagree? Yeah, I, mean, I know just, the casual fans, they like that excitement, that drama of the PKs, sure. and I get that. 
but sometimes it doesn't really um the the better team doesn't really come out on top all the time yeah you know and you know games it depends on how it shakes out too we wanted the mls cup to go to pks at about 125 minutes in of course because we were losing you know like that's all you can at, at times yeah you're gonna root for something to catch you know you get that late goal by gareth bale all the excitement. Then you go on to win. To, okay, of course. I'm talking about starting at minute one, nil nil. I don't want to go to PKs with this thing. Let's get it. Let's get a champ. And if it has, if it has to be an extra time, hey, all the better. You know, I mean, it's a little more tense because you kind of once you get to extra time, you kind of feel like, oh boy, penalties are really looming. Let's face it, it's going to be tough for one of these teams to break down the other in 30 minutes. You know, two 15 minute. But I want to see. I have no problem if somebody scores an extra time winner. That'd be crazy. But let's just get a winner. Yeah, it's That's the what toughest and saddest way to go out. You know, if you're the yes. losing team, you know, because you didn't lose. Yeah. It's a draw. You really didn't lose. Even when you get knocked out, I mean, it, there's such a bitter taste of that. Like we know, obviously, we have plenty of teams that have been knocked out by penalties in this knockout stage. All these, you know, I mean, just list them. There's plenty. Croatia knocked out two teams that way. You know, I mean, it it, it doesn't. You didn't really lose. <laughs> That's what's so painful. If there's a goal within so, regulation, it's kind of almost easier to swallow that loss than a little a PK, bit. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so. Or even an extra time if you give up a goal. Yeah. I mean, if you and you can't score, or if you give up two. I mean, remember, U.S. played Belgium in a World Cup knockout stage in 2014. Three goals were scored in the extra time. We lost two one, but that was nil nil going into extra. You know, goals are plenty in the extra time. Well, that occasionally happens, but. Usually you give up a goal in extra time, you're in trouble. So, yeah, I agree with you, though. Let's just see a winner. Let's get to it. Now, who is going to win? Well, let's break it down, shall we? And I'll have my pick later in the show, but I'm going to start breaking it down like I always do. Grouping by grouping. Managers. Lionel Scaloni and Didier Deschamps have done a magnificent job. I really, I picked Deschamps as like the best manager of the tournament in terms of our best 11 plus man. And Mario asked what the, who the manager was after I finished the best 11. So I picked Deschamps just barely over several. All of the semifinalist managers did great. I thought Louis Van Hall had a good tournament. You know, there's several good managers in this tournament. Reg Ragui, I mean, you can't argue with what he did with Morocco. And if you chose him, I'd be fine with that. So I don't really think there's much of an advantage between Scaloni and how he's kind of pulled the strings of Argentina making a couple of key adjustments here and there. The subs have been right on. Uh, you know, even moving, you know, going away from Lautaro Martinez as a starter. I mean, that's not easy to do in a World Cup. Unless somebody had been injured, you know, unless your big time number nine had been injured first or something. Then you could see a change. It's not easy to find a guy like Julian Alvarez in terms of like giving him the starting role and he responds the way he did. So credit to Scaloni for what he's done to get Argentina here. And just, as we said, make it so it's not just Lionel Messi and 10. You know, 10 of me and Messi. It's not no way near that. Now, that's not to say Messi isn't the best by far and he's playing great. And yes, they're going to look for him. Yes, he has to have a good game. Yes, he has to lead. Of course. But so does Mbappe. I mean, France, if Mbappe, you know, doesn't show up at all in the final, it's very unlikely France can beat Argentina either. I mean, so... But I would give Deschamps maybe just a like a razor thin advantage if I had to. But it's not even really, not even really anything that would affect. I don't think either way. I think both managers will be ready. Let's just put it that way. But you got to love what Deschamps does with France in that they never seem to panic. They don't. I mean, forget panic. France. It doesn't even seem 
they don't even seem bothered by anything that ever happens in this tournament. You know, whether they give up a goal, whether they miss a great chance, it's just like water off a duck's back with France. They just don't even, they just keep going. It's like it doesn't even affect them. That's how good they are. But also, that comes from your manager, too, in a lot of ways. And I and they'll never be out of a match, right? I mean, you're not going to likely see them buried in goals anyway. But even at 2-0, they can come back with the talent they have. I mean, whatever it takes. They'll never, I mean, it's just Deshaun, maybe a razor-thin advantage there because he's been there. He won it last time. Goalkeeper, I mean, I don't see much of a difference. I mean, Daniel Martinez and Hugo Lloris. Lloris is maybe... You would say a better goalkeeper, I guess, if you had to make a choice. But again, pretty thin advantage there. I think either one of them can be, you know, up there with the best 11s if you wanted. Uh, they both done it where they both have had to make big saves. Maybe Lloris is the one more prone to, like, the big mistake. Like, Martinez is maybe more solid, and yet Lloris probably just slightly better goalkeeper overall. But he is maybe more prone to that big error which I guess in a World Cup final could also make all the difference too, potentially. So keep an eye on that. And then defensively, I mean, neither one of these teams has any holes defensively for sure. I mean, you've got Otamendi and Romero. Romero made my best 11. You know, Upamecano, Teo Hernandez made my best 11. Conde's been great. I mean, they've got talent everywhere. Again, talking about a virus for France, hopefully they're getting healthier. Still some concerns there, but especially with some of the defenders they've had, the, you know, those illness concerns. But both teams, I see no advantage defensively for either team. I really do. Now, the other team's attackers are great, and they can break these defenses down like every other defense in the world because if attackers are great, they're going to find their chances. So it's not like this game's going to be a nil-nil bore, but I don't see either one of these defenses having a bigger advantage over the other defense on these teams. It's a it's a wash. We'll get to the midfield coming up later and the and the uh, forwards of course and kind of tell you where my prediction goes with this World Cup still to come. Don't forget you can podcast the show if you miss any of this. Go back podcast it at ESPN LA the app. And by the way, the ESPN LA app is magnificent. I'm not just shilling for it. Just go get it. It's a fantastic app if you want to listen to the station at all. Really easy, really great to use. Go to your you know app store, whatever, and just search for ESPN LA. And you probably already have it downloaded, but if you haven't, do it. I highly recommend that, no doubt. And once again, thanks to our uh, friends at Estrella Jalisco who have been with us all the while. Segment one in the books. Coming up next, Sebastian Salazar from ESPN and one of the best shows in all of world football, Football Americas. He's coming up next right here. On Road to the Cup with Dave Denholm on ESPN LA. It's Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Dave Denholm with you here. And uh, thanks to, again, our friends from Estrella Jalisco for uh, bringing you Road to the Cup throughout this tournament. We're just about wrapping up, and one of our favorite guests joins us again from ESPN and one of the best shows in world football, Football Americas. It's Sebastian Salazar. Seb, thank you as always for taking the time. Let's dive right into this final fantastic matchup, Argentina-France. I mean, it's dripping with storylines, which really jumps out at you. How do you feel about this final, the matchup itself? I mean, it's, for me, the dream final, really. I, we were never going to get Brazil-Argentina in the final. That was always going to kind of line up to the semifinal. We didn't end up getting that because Brazil falls in the quarters. But any dream final for me in this World Cup had to include Lionel Messi. Like, obviously, the people that are listening to this show are probably soccer fans, but 
people who aren't soccer fans, people who aren't sports fans want to know if Messi's going to get his World Cup. So you had to include him. And then I think if we look back, not just at recent history, but really kind of the modern era of football, there is not a country, there's not a national team on the men's side that's more dominant than France. This is their fourth World Cup final in the last seven. So since the tournament went to 32 teams back in 98, this is the fourth time that they've reached the final. And I think by all measures, they have the next guy who is going to enter into not just the greatest player of his generation, but potentially the greatest player of all time conversation in Kylian Mbappe. So I just think, you know, when we think of not just storylines, but great players and powerhouse countries, this is truly the, the best final you could have. And, and I've, I've been talking to some friends around, um, you know, the media circles here. And we're, we're kind of going on, not just in soccer history, but in like sports history. What are the events that have gotten the biggest global rating? You know, I'm thinking back in the day, like a Muhammad Ali fight, when, when those would just have every television set worldwide, you know, tuned in to watch Muhammad Ali. I think this final, you know, when you talk about Messi, going for the World Cup after 15 years of dominating the world sport, I think this is going to be one of the highest-rated sporting events, television events, in the history of TV. And I think that puts into perspective just how big a game this is. Well, that's great stuff. It goes along with what Mario and I have been saying the last couple of days. It, it really struck me, once the matchup had kind of you know sunk in for a day or two, this could be the biggest World Cup game ever. And I don't know about, I didn't mean it in television ratings. I think you're absolutely right. But just, it could be the greatest final ever, potentially. That's a lot of pressure on it, don't get me wrong, but it really has that potential. Yeah, and I mean, I think we always have to be careful with finals, right? Finals usually don't end up being free-flowing, wide-open games. That's not the nature of finals. They don't, they don't live up to hype from a beauty standpoint, but they do live up to the hype from a tension standpoint, usually. And I think if we consider what Argentina is and how they've played throughout this tournament, they've been very defensively responsible. You know, that team came into this tournament with a lot of questions about specifically their defense, their center backs. You know, what kind of player would Otamendi be at this stage in his career? We literally share a set with the ESPN Argentina folks early in this tournament. They didn't have any clue who was going to be the left back, the right back from game one to game two. They were, they were trying to still figure that out. Uh, and so to see how well they've done defensively, and I think a lot of that credit goes to the goalie, Dibu Martinez, I think it's very hard to expect, you know, an open final. And even though we think of France as this team that's full of brilliant attacking players, and it's not just Mbappe, right? It's Dembele, it's even Griezmann in his new role. It's Giroud, who's your, your backup forward to Karim Benzema, but who is, you know, in his own right, a, a French national team legend. Uh, I still think they play a very kind of responsible type of game. But they're not going to open themselves up. So uh, I'm not telling people, you know, expect a 3-2 in this one. But I think when you, when you think of all that's on the line um, for these countries, for the individual legacies, the tension of this game is just going to be amazing. We're talking with Sebastian Salazar, ESPN, and Football Americas. I couldn't agree more. The tension of it is going to drive this thing. Because as we were talking about it, Seb, as I'm trying to break this down positionally, or you know, yes, they don't play the same style by any means, but there's so so razor-thin margins between these two teams. It is very difficult. I, I, I think they're clearly the two best teams of the tournament in the way they've played, but very difficult to pick this kind of matchup. And, and all over the pitch, 
they're 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 really equal in a lot of ways. Absolutely, absolutely. I think for me, the the clear difference is in the open field. France has speed. Now, will Argentina allow them to use that speed? I don't know that Argentina will control that because what France does brilliantly, and this is a credit to the way they play, and I think if you really want to understand how good France is, look at how they've changed, like how World Cups look, how we think about soccer. In 2018, they won the World Cup basically without the ball. You know, they, they proved that they didn't need the ball to dominate a game, to win games. They would just let you come forward and bang you on the counter. Easy. And now everybody tries to do that. So I think, and look, just go back to the game against Morocco. You know, they, of course, the early goal kind of shades what possession is. They don't have the ball for the majority of that game. Morocco did. And yet, you know, France ends up winning two to nothing. But I think with Mbappe and Dembele on the wing, you really, really have to be careful if you're Argentina. And I just wonder if that kind of prevents Argentina from doing some of the things that we've seen them do, especially in the knockout rounds that have brought success. You know, uh, if you think of a guy like Noel Molina, you know, the right back who scored a significant goal uh, in the game against Netherlands, beautiful assist from Messi. And then also, if you think about the semifinal, right, the Julian Alvarez wonder goal where he just kind of runs through everybody. I don't think that goal happens if Molina doesn't make like a 60-yard run to kind of pull the defender away and really open the path there for Alvarez. Can he afford to do that when it's Mbappe or Dembele, if, if they kind of swap sides that, that, that he's leaving? You know, I don't know. So I think that to me is kind of the one difference, the clear difference that I see between the two sides is that France has an element of speed that Argentina cannot match, at least in an individual. You can, you can set up your team so that you're, you're not exposed, you're not playing a high line, you don't have a lot of space in behind. But I really think speed is, you know, I would say speed kills, and France has it, and for some reason they're in a second straight final. Talking with Sebastian Salazar of ESPN, I'm not going to put you on the spot, not going to make a prediction, because you've given us a lot of tidbits here that I love about these two teams. I'm going to leave you with one question outside of the final. Uh, with the 48-team World Cup coming up, Seb, and we know that you're not putting the genie back in the bottle. We're not going back to 32. That's going to be 48. I propose that the top three teams of the World Cup get in automatically to the next one. Whether the you know that way, the third place game has everything on the line. Is that ridiculous? Since it's going to go to 48 teams anyway. I love it. I love it just for one reason, one reason alone. Like, we're all talking about the third-place game tomorrow. You know, we've been, we've been fighting over here to get tickets, you know, on our, on our hours off to see if we can go to certain games. <laughs> Some tickets came around for the third-place game, and everyone's like, meh, uh, I don't know. Do I really want to go? It's like, man, this is a, this is a World Cup game. This is a, a, a game that mm-hmm. I, think, I think we sleep on the third-place game a little bit because – in the moment, it doesn't feel like it matters. It feels like a huge letdown. But then when you go back and you look back historically at a World Cup, it, you feel like, oh, man, my country finished third. That, was a, that feels different to me than fourth. You know, that feels different to me than losing yes. your last two games at a World Cup. And I've, I've been struggling to think of an idea. Like, how, how do you make the third-place game valuable? Because the reality here, the reality here, Dave, is there's way too many soccer games. I mean, we're here in Gianni Infantino's, spouting off ideas about a 
a new FIFA Club World Cup and this and that and a million games. And you know, at some point, you got to take care of these players. You got to run them into the ground, and that's not good for the sport. So for me, if a third place game has no meaning, then that's it. Send these guys home. They, they've they've put on their show. They've, they've they've made their run. Give them both third place medals if you want. You know, whatever. But if you can put some meaning to it and make it an automatic qualifier to the next World Cup, I'm all in. Here's the thing. When you go to 48 teams too, it's going to be less and less and less likely that the big teams, the teams that would make a semifinal, are not going to qualify, right? Because those, that extra layer yeah. of, let's say, fat, that extra layer of fat that you're going to bring into the World Cup, that's going to catch when Netherlands has a bad, a bad qualifying, they're still going to get in. You know, if, if England or France, who have, you know, had, had terrible qualifying campaigns in the past, they're not going to miss World Cups from here on out. I think even for teams in CONCACAF, like USA, Mexico, Canada, Costa Rica, the, the teams you come to expect in CONCACAF, once you get six teams from our region, I'm thinking 2030, obviously, because 2026, you know, a lot of those teams will be automatic bids. Like, Mexico's never going to miss another World Cup. The U.S. is hard to imagine them ever missing another World Cup. So uh, I think to some point, to me, the third-place game is, is almost useless. So, but I'm with you. I'm with you. If you can find a way to make it useful, keep it around. Absent of that, you know, I, I think I think it's a little too much to ask of the players after what's been a grueling year and, and a really grueling tournament. Yeah, I think Sebastian Salazar is absolutely – Seb, you're really right. You might as well dump it then if you're not going to give it anything more than that. I can't, agree, I can't agree more with that. I totally do. Sebastian Salazar, ESPN and Football America. Seb, Thank you so much for all your time during this World Cup. I know you've been a busy man. Safe travels. Enjoy the final, and then we uh, you know, get back safely. And uh, thank you so much for everything. Really appreciate it. Dave, always good to be with you, and we'll talk in uh, 2023, yeah? You got it. The great Sebastian Salazar. Check out his work on Football Americas and ESPN. This is Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Road to the Cup on ESPN LA continues. Thanks once again to Sebastian Salazar from ESPN and Football Americas. Check out that program if you aren't watching it. On ESPN Plus, find it. It's fantastic television with he and Hercules Gomez. Hercules has also been on this show a few times. Really appreciate their participation and all that they do for that show and ESPN. Great work from uh, Seb. Always fun to talk about the World Cup with him. All right, let's get back to the breaking down these teams. When we last last left off in the first segment, and uh, thanks again to uh, Estrella Jalisco for getting us here, when we last left off, I was right around the defense. I said both teams equal defensively, no advantage. I had given the goalkeeper advantage, maybe the hairs, the slightest whiskers advantage to Hugo Lloris. But again, more capable of making the big mistake, I think, than Emiliano Martinez. And then the manager's almost a wash. I guess Didier Deschamps says he's been in a final and won it. You'd say maybe a slight edge to France. So France working on a couple of very small edges as we go to the midfield. And the midfield, McAllister, Enzo Fernandez, Rodrigo DePaul. I don't think DePaul's had a great tournament. Some of that was, uh, you know, but they also can, you know, bring in Paredes coming in if he maybe starts or he comes in off the bench, although he's been a little rugged and ragged at times too. But I do think McAllister, Enzo Fernandez have great tournaments. Fernandez was right on the cusp of my best 11. Would not have a complaint if anybody put him in there. I think Mario, you did actually, so no complaints there. He's been phenomenal. I can't argue with anybody who would say he's a best eleven. Tough to you know, tough to determine who's gonna you know not be in it. Schumani has been great for France. That goal against uh, England has me still thinking about it. 
how you can get that much power and wickedness and just ability to like pick your spot almost. I mean, it was laser with just a barely any room to do it. And Antoine Griezmann's been a best 11. He's been almost right up there with golden ball capability. If it wasn't such a good tournament for Mbappe and, and Messi, like you could argue Griezmann's been the best player. So if you're looking at these midfields, I think Argentina's midfield is more, not to say they don't have talent by any means, but more just dig it out, grind it out, get the ball to Messi, right? And France's midfield can maybe create a little bit more if they have to while still having those ridiculous weapons up front. Again, razor-thin advantage maybe to France. Again, it's just so fine, though. The, like, If you told me there was... You, you would give the slight advantage to Argentina at every position. I couldn't really argue much. But in my head, maybe the slightest advantage through the midfield to France. So that brings us to the forward spot. Obviously, a lot of eyes are going to be on it. No question. These are where the, the best players for these teams play. The best players in these tournaments. And right now, the two best players in the world. That's what we're going to be witnessing. In my estimation... You know, a tip of the cap to several players around the world who are very, very good, world-class players. Neymar, you know, guys you know, jump out at you. Even you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, at the height of his powers, even at this age. They deserve respect. But these are the two best players in the world, playing the best as well. So <laughs> no coincidence why they're both about to, you know, struggle to win on Sunday against each other. Teammates at PSG, ridiculous. Ridiculous team PSG has. Neymar's on PSG, too. I mean, that's absurd. Like, how they don't win the Champions League, by the way, they should, but that's a whole other story for another day, the way they're playing. So let's break it down. Messi, up front. Julian Alvarez has been very good, right? Now, we've had the Angel Di Maria kind of injury concerns. Is he out wide? They're going to have to go with maybe pushing Molina out. You know, it's like there's options for Scaloni, plenty of talent. But Lionel Messi is just the best. So you can't argue with him and what he's doing. And Julian Alvarez has got four goals. So it's not, again, just Lionel Messi. So France has a lot to worry about. And then there's France going forward and what Argentina has to worry about. Oh, by the way, one of my favorites. I know people don't, not that they don't like him, but people kind of critique Dembele a lot. I think the guy is just so impressive because either foot can just kill you. And he doesn't. He's not a guy who has to have all goals for himself either. Like he, he's a good passer, keeps his vision. Dembele can just unlock a defense. And then you got Mbappe and Giroud. So come on, this is the embarrassment of riches for both these teams up front. And like we've talked about a lot in World Cups, this is why they're here. The more you watch World Cups, even down to the thirty-second best team, right? Who would you think was the worst team in this World Cup? Qatar or Canada, based on, you know, 0-3. Canada with a slightly, I think, a slightly better goal difference, although could be even be wrong on that, frankly. Qatar was you know, minus 6, so what was Canada? Canada lost 4-1, 1-0, and 2-1. So, yeah, slightly better goal difference than Qatar. So even those two teams, it's not like their defenses were horrific, right? Yeah, they don't deserve to move on. They didn't, you know, they didn't have good tournaments. But nobody's getting destroyed. I know the Costa Rica lost 7-0, and yet they turned it around, even grab a victory, for crying out loud, against Japan, who, oh, by the way, won the group. So nobody was horrific. Teams can defend. 
And even if they're not the greatest teams, they're going to make sure they can defend. That's how you get to the World Cup. Nobody's qualifying for the World Cup by outscoring everybody 6-4. to four. If you qualify, you can defend. But it's these players up front, Messi, Mbappe, Giroud, Dembele, Julian Alvarez, Latoro Martinez if they need it, Angel Di Maria. These are guys, this is the class that can finish, can have that clinical attitude up front. That's what's the difference. How do you pick between these two groups? Because you could say Argentina has the advantage because he's Lionel Messi. And if they need it, Alvarez and Martinez can also be killers up front. Or you could say, well, France just has those three guys you know are going to show up every time. right? You know that if you give Giroud enough chances, Dembele out wide to try to break down your defense, or Mbappe to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, they're going to break you down eventually. And they can finish. They don't need 15 chances. They might get 15. They don't need them. Because if they get 15, you might be losing 5-2 to two or 5-0. Do you, how do you possibly pick this up front? I think it's pretty much a wash. Again, it does come down to who has the better day, no question. That's always a case. I mean, if Messi has the best day that he's ever played, nobody can beat him. If Lionel Messi plays the best game he's ever played, holy cow, right? If Mbappe has the best game he's ever had in his life, Argentina can't win. You get what I'm saying? That's how good these guys are. So, I mean, it's just a wash. So as I look at it, what did we have? We had the France with like a razor-thin advantage at three different spots on my rankings. And Argentina having no advantage, technically. But they have the great equalizer in the best player. And maybe the best player of all time. Who wants the World Cup. I don't know that there is an advantage for either team here. I don't know that you can, even with the slight little razor-thin margins I'm talking about and keep talking about, how do you pick? Because it's just a cliche, but it's whoever plays better that day. These are evenly matched teams. I believe that. Now, again, we saw it in a World Cup that Zinedine Zidane went out and dominated against a great Brazil team. They won 3-0. It was a thrashing. But that doesn't mean they were three goals better than that Brazil team every day. It just happened. Yes, one of these teams could walk away with this pretty easily if they have the greatest game they've ever had. Okay, but it's just so even that I guess guess I'm going to be rooting for Messi, but my heart says, or my head says, France is probably going to win. There. I had to, it took me a while, but I have to say it that way. I want Messi to win. France probably wins 2-1, somewhere along those lines. But you just, I mean... You're not going to be shocked with any result that you hear. <laughs> if you don't watch this match, which we all are going to, even when you, while you're watching, nothing's going to shock you, really. If Messi gets two opportunities, he could have two of the greatest goals you've ever seen. He only needs, you know, I mean, it doesn't, and it could be 2-0 Argentina, and that might be it. But if I have to, you know, be on record, I'm going to say this is what classic game Maybe the best game you've ever seen, yes. And I think France is probably going to win, and it's going to ruin my afternoon because I want to see Messi win the World Cup because I have no nothing against France winning a second straight. I really don't. They're great. They deserve it. Probably the best team in the world still, if you really look at it, break it down. But come on. 
how I know Mario said he just wants to maybe see Messi not win it. You said that yesterday, Mario. Yeah, I you did. Know you did. I did. It's actually because you know I'm a big Mbappe fan, and for him to already have uh, a World Cup and to potentially potentially knock out one of the greatest of all time, Messi, and do it for the second time and still be in his early twenties. That would just be an incredible story. Yeah, coming out. They're of already Qatar. talking about him if he wins again. Like him, the potential's there for like the greatest of all time conversations eventually, because you got the two World Cups, and like you said, he's not even twenty four till I think a couple days after the World Cup ends, or maybe the next day. Yeah, right. So he's almost twenty four, but he's still twenty three. And it's so hard to root against Messi, you know. It's not like I'm rooting against him. That's my point. But we're in the storyline business here, you know. This is a yes, and, but what, and I'm not a fan a of either team, you know. I'm not like a huge like uh, France fan. I'm not an Argentina fan, you know. I'm a fan of the of the game, the sport. But do you have that like L tree hate Argentina kind of feel? No, I don't have that really because I don't really you get that. So you get that from a lot of L tree fans, not everybody, but. No. Right? There's a little bit of we don't want Argentina to win kind of feel from El Tri. Yeah, fans, you do get that, but I think that's only one sided. There's one-sided. some rivalry there I think it's between a those two rivalry, footballing though. nations. <laughs> don't you think? Oh, well, I see what you mean. Mexico, yeah. footballing wise, doesn't particularly like Argentina. Argentina doesn't think much about exactly. Mexico. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. That's what I'm trying to say. Unfortunately, I'm a Cleveland sports fan in a lot of sports. We get that a lot. We hate some teams, and they barely even know we exist because we're so bad. Yeah, it's kind of so, like the Lakers. Yeah, like Lakers. Oh, everybody's the Lakers rivalry. Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> no. Lakers don't no really remember No disrespect to L-Tree. I'm always a big fan of L-Tree if they're not playing us. Uh, but, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Argentina's probably like, what? And then, <laughs> But L-Tree fans are like, we hate you. And they're like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I get, I get that. Yeah, I, I just want, I want to see Messi win. And then, you know, Mbappe can go back to winning until – like 2030, right? We're going to win the World Cup in 2026. The U.S. is going to win the World Cup in 2026. Then Mbappe will still come back for another one when he's 31, 32-ish. He can win another one then. That's fine. That's my goal. (laughs) Messi this time, USA 2026, and then fine. You can have Mbappe come back and win one more. Before the Cup started, I had Argentina. That was my pick to win the whole thing. And then after the first match, Mm. uh, I said, oh, France. France is looking yeah. really good, and I picked France. And now, look where we're at now. We have Argentina going up against France in the final. Yeah, you know, everybody, I thought the injuries would derail France. Let's remember, they're missing key, you know, N'Golo Conte. Everybody talks about him like he's the greatest defensive midfielder ever, which I don't quite agree with, mm-hmm. frankly. I think he's a little overrated. I mean, a great player, but a little overrated, if you will. Like, he's still amazing. Uh, and Benzema, you know, every, like you talked about, you know, so yeah, they're even missing player. Don't get me wrong, they, but France is the best team. France is the best footballing nation right now, but they just might run into the best football player. And, you know, on just one day, who knows? I mean, it's, like I said, it's just one day. Anything can happen. Any result is possible with this match. There's just no, no way to get around that. You just got to go out and do it. Oh, I can't wait, though. This is making me more pumped up now. Because I want to see what happens. I really do. And just one more little storyline for you, Dave. The the goalkeeper for France, Lloris. He could become the first captain in history to lift the World Cup twice. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Interesting. So there's storylines all over the place. Yeah, that is. But you know who else? What else? Another great storyline. The first ever MLS player could win a World Cup. Current MLS. You know, in other words, guys who came to MLS late in their careers had already won. But I'm saying while they're in MLS... First MLS player, Tiago Amada, could win the World Cup for Argentina. And he did play in some games. Like It's not like he just sat on the bench 
as one of the 26. Almada's got a great future. Yeah, that's you know? right. So he has appeared in the World Cup, and he could True. be the first MLS current MLS player like while they're playing to win a World Cup. So that's another good storyline for Argentina, but we shall see. Oh, man, what a segment. Great stuff. Still got more to talk about here, plus stoppage time. All of that coming up next. Road to the Cup, Dave Dunholm and you on ESPN LA. Road to the Cup, ESPN LA. Dave Dunholm with you. Segment number four, final segment of the show. Don't forget, if you miss anything, you can always go back and podcast the show. Go to ESPN LA app and podcast it there or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks once again to our friends at Estrella Jalisco for supporting us here on Road to the Cup. And here we go. Made my prediction. France 2, Argentina 1. My heart desperately wants Lionel Messi to win. My head says France will likely pull it out. I just, no result will shock me. No result should surprise anyone. These are the two best teams. The more you look at them, there's very little difference between them in terms of on-field. Either team can get the job done. Hey, uh, interesting news kind of coming out of the World Cup with Gianni Infantino, the president of FIFA, speaking and talking about the future with the Club World Cup. First, this next season's, the 2023 World Cup, or Club World Cup, was announced, right? And that is going to be played in Morocco, which is awesome. How long have Soccer Weekly with Mario Rees and Dave Dunholm been talking about Casablanca and the city in Morocco that is one of the best cities in the world for football? And Morocco is one of the best countries in the world for football. Boom. Here we go. And oh, by the way, MLS representative Seattle Sounders will be there because they won CONCACAF Champions League. So it's not Tigres or America or one of the other seemingly millions of Mexican League sides that have won this thing before an MLS team finally did. And now Seattle will be there. Taking on the likes of, well, who else is there? It's like Real Madrid winning the Champions League. It's big. I mean, Palmeiras. Which could we see Eduardo Tuesta there? Is that Palmeiras going then? Remember, LAFC's Eduardo Tuesta plays for Palmeiras, right? Then you've got Flamengo's uh, going to be in a day. Flamengo, oh, it's Flamengo, Sanders, ah. Auckland City, of course, Casablanca, of course. Two teams to be determined still. Yeah, Al Ali, I think, is going, and then to, yeah, you still got another. You got to find out who wins the Asian. I think the Asian Champions League or whatever. When's the dates on that Mario? Early February, right? Yeah, it's early like first, February. First eleven days see, of February. Yeah. There was some buzz and rumor that maybe the U.S. would host this one, but as February it turns out, first through the eleventh. Yeah, they're going to Morocco February first through the eleventh. By the way, the one place in the world my wife has kind of traveled a decent amount, you know, work and stuff, and for leisure, uh, she still wants to go to Morocco. That's the one. That's like her top of her list. So, hmm, February 1st. <laughs> hmm. If it was LAFC there, I think I'd be on a plane, to be honest with you. I think we all would. But for Seattle, I still might. I don't know. We'll see. Kudos. Uh, congratulations once again to the Sounders. And we'll see what happens. But then the 2025 Club World Cup, Mario, they announced a whole new format. 2025. There'll be 32 teams in the Club World Cup, and they'll play it like a World Cup, like kind of the same format we see. Wow, that's a lot of teams. That's a lot of teams and a lot of games. This is the one LAFC will be in, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah, 2025. Yeah. And it would, yes. I don't know if they're going to be doing this every year or if it's more like the year before a World Cup and it's replacing the Confederations Cup. In other words, you might see several winners of Champions Leagues like you know, for three or four years build up, and then they go – from, you know, whether it's CONCACAF or whoever, you know, like the 
the uh, regions, you know, so they send up more teams than just, you know, obviously one. They're going to be sending several from each region, and CONCACAF will be part of that. So that could be interesting where it's more a buildup. And, you know, it's kind of crazy that you want to – Champions League four years ago, and now is your chance to go to the Club World Cup. But it's still, you know, that's just the way world football is. There's changes all the time in terms of rosters and anything. So, what does that mean, right? So, and it's it's never you you never have exactly the same roster anyway when you won something and you go. But you know, this is the year LAFC will be in the Champions League too. So who knows? Maybe that's the way they'll build it up towards 2025. We shall see. So that'll be interesting. And that one, I want to say that one. I don't. Did they announce it yet? I don't think they announced it, but that one could have a chance to be here, right? Just because it's the year before the World Cup, they maybe want to do a little, you know, test run, if you will, kind of thing. Makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, so that's going to a thirty-two team tournament. Yeah, and Infantino, uh, you know, announced that. And uh, here's a quote: During that slot, where in the past we would have used the Confederations Cup, and it'll be slightly longer because obviously there are thirty-two teams instead of. What is you know end quote? What is now the twenty you know seven teams that are in the Club World Cup? So it's getting bigger, no two ways about it. But it'll be awesome to see it here. That would be incredible. So hopefully that's the way it'll all go shake down eventually in the future. So Mario, time now for a couple of minutes of our favorite segment of the show, stoppage time. Dave, exciting stuff right there with the FIFA Club World Cup. Now with yeah, this, with I'm, this World I'm all, Cup, I'm all in. Let's do it. Yeah, me too. Now with this World Cup. Almost coming to an end here. Uh, we're already excited for 2026, right? And the yep, U.S. Men's yep. National Team and their chances in that one. Now, we were just talking about rosters. Let's talk about the U.S. Men's National Team roster. How many players do you think from the current uh, U.S. Men's National Team will be on the 2026 roster when we go in, into the World Cup there? Oh, I like this question. And I'll, I will say it this way first. Everybody assumes way more people are going to make it right after you watch a World Cup than actually will. Four years, three and a half years, whatever, a long time away, right, in world football, in all sports. You've got injuries, unfortunately. You've got guys getting older. You've got guys, younger guys coming up who want their shot, right? New superstars. We don't even know who could be starting for the – I can even go that route too. There's 26 roster spots, Mario, but also even the starting 11, you could have a ton of new players in it. Now, look, there's obviously guys you think will have a great shot for the U.S., of course. That midfield, Christian Pulisic, you know, maybe guys who played up front. You'd think some of the defenders will be kind of rotated out by age, you know, and and Miles Robinson was injured, so guys like that. I mean, I'll be honest, 26-man roster, I'm not going to go down each individual one, but you could see as many as 10 to 15 new players. I mean, that's just, that's the way world football is. You could also see a pretty similar roster, no doubt. I would go so far as to say about half the roster will be new. 26 roster spots, 13. And I'll even go as far as to say maybe four or five new starters at least too. Right? You could have a goalkeeper different. Not to say Matt Turner is certainly not older. He could be great and he might still be there. But you could, we've got young goalkeepers flying up. We've got young talent all over the United States right now. Come, you know, Coming of age, if you will. If they're going to be good enough to make that roster, we'll see. But, yeah, I, I, that would be my prediction. About half of the roster will be different. Now, most people will hear this today and go, are you insane? Who's going to replace these? You know, whatever. But that's just the way it is, right? I mean, every team moves on. Not Again, that might be a little egregious since considering how young we are. But I'll go that far. I'll say 
upwards of 13 new players and maybe even almost half of the starting lineup. We could see different players. What about you? Is that similar? Is that strike a chord there or no? Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. No, it's not too high at all, especially if you didn't make that deep of a run. It's not like you're going to come back with the same exact guys and say, oh, let's do it again. Or or another thing is that if you have a new head coach, he has a a certain style, certain players that he likes that he doesn't like or whatever. Yeah, some players you think are going to be there for sure probably have no shot and they don't even know it. Exactly. A new new head coach comes in and he has his particular players that he wants to bring in. Yep. And then the guys that are there now are kind of asked out, you know, so... Who knows? It's It's up in the air. Very good point. Very good point. As always, great stuff on Stoppage Time with my producer, Mario Rees, the best in the business. I am Dave Denholm. This is Road to the Cup. We got one more to go. Final on Sunday. We'll have a show after that right here on the home of Road to the Cup. It's ESPN LA.